Hello and welcome to Four Advisors, the podcast for and about financial advisors. I'm your host, Dave Polis, and today we're going to be talking about another approach to building a niche practice, this one based on a time-honored standard, physicians. Our guest today is John Hill, founding partner and CEO of Pinnacle Advisory Group in Columbia, Maryland, who, with his two partners, built a $2 billion advisory, partly based on building a niche practice serving physicians. After graduating college with a bachelor's degree in economics and business administration, he ended up in the management fast lane at a major manufacturing company. When one of his friends began to work in financial planning, John found himself drawn to the profession. He left his management position behind to pursue work in financial planning, was hired in a large institution where he met both Ken Solo and Dwight Michaelis, his future partners at Pinnacle. In 1992, Ken and John resigned their positions so they could start a firm in line with the vision to serve clients better without conflicts. The next year, Dwight joined them and Pinnacle Advisory was born. 26 years later, Pinnacle manages nearly $2 billion for almost 1,250 families by offering financial planning and risk-managed investment portfolios. John, welcome to the program. It's nice to have you today. Thank you, David. It's my pleasure to be here. John, you have a rich and varied background and have worked in a bunch of different situations both within the finance industry and outside it. You've also had a variety of clients over the years within it and when Pinnacle was first started. Tell us what led you initially to the decision to approach physicians as a group to start building Pinnacle. Uh, it, it actually happened a bit by accident um, in the earliest part of my career. I had decided to have a discussion with my personal physician uh, about what I was doing. I felt that was a nice, safe place to get started since I was his patient. Uh, and in fact, it turned out to be a very safe place to get started. So I had a good understanding uh, and a very open and honest relationship with him. So I had a good understanding about what made him tick inside his practice. Uh, he was a sole practitioner and he had a relatively small staff. And it was interesting for me to find as much as I could about how he ran his practice, the parts he enjoyed, the parts he didn't enjoy. He was honest enough with me to let me know what concerned him. That was super helpful. Uh, and so I began to develop uh, an excellent understanding through him first uh, about uh, what the physician marketplace was, the needs, um, how terribly underserved it was with good, uh, open information that was not, uh, that didn't have an objective other than to serve the client. So it began with that one person uh, and then I was able to leverage out from there. The other issue that was really helpful was that he had a terrific office manager and I had a really good relationship uh, with her. Uh, we had the opportunity to talk about things that very, very few other financial advisors would take the time to talk about. Again, a lot of this was way outside of the realm of what we normally do with financial planning. A lot of it was about the practice. In the case of physicians, their practice is their biggest driver. It drives their income, not necessarily creating value for them at the end. A little bit more nowadays than it used to be, but it still wasn't at that point. And so it was a wonderful opportunity to, to leapfrog into uh, that field. Um, he also had uh, just a bunch of buddies in the community. It was a small community. Um, we had one hospital in the community. All of these physicians um, in the community were attached to that particular hospital, and that by itself provided an entree. In a little bit, I'll share one of the things that I did that really launched this whole process for me. You, you had mentioned that this was based on a personal experience and that things were different then. Uh, what was the economic climate, say, in 1993 when you were starting this? The medical profession deep into managed care, getting on practice boards and fighting with insurance companies. 
their incomes have been reduced, their costs have been increased, malpractice insurance. What was the economic climate well, like for, for them going By into 1993, that? when we had started Pinnacle, um, it was radically different than it was when I began working with this client. So this was my one of my first clients early on, and as you had mentioned earlier, I was with a much larger company. And so this particular client uh, was on board with me from the very beginning. So I began to work with physicians pre uh, the establishment of Pinnacle Advisory Group. So the climate when we started was actually back in the early to mid-80s was a very exciting climate for physicians. It was a time of great prosperous uh, opportunity. Um, they had uh, the coding systems that they were using were rather flexible, so it gave them the opportunity to fairly and honestly uh, earn a better living. Now, my experience, interestingly enough, from that point forward, uh, over time, was I certainly became much aware of the changes that you just brought uh, brought to mind here, and that is that it, it's radically changed. There were there are multiple phases of the physician market. That one that I was fortunate enough to enter into was a very good one. Phase two was very confused. That would be when you're talking about 19, the 1990s. Uh, there were a number of external um, acquisition models um, in play. Several large companies, FICOR is one that comes to mind, were in acquisition mode. And so a lot of physicians were evaluating where they wanted to be. RBRVS, which was a coding system that's used, became more stringent. Um, it, was, it took a, electronic recording was uh, beginning to show up. We were at a place where it, it demanded more time and understanding on the part of the physician. Hence, you had even the sole practitioners that continued to exist, more and more were beginning to get together. They were trying to create some economies of scale with their practices. So uh, again, I was fortunate enough to launch my relationships with many of these doctors prior to um, this phase two. And of course, now we're in what I'll call is, uh, is maybe even phase four, maybe I jumped ahead too far, but uh, through phase three and phase four, when consolidation among the physician groups is, is obviously extensive, it's quite different. So there's a little bit of a different approach one would take today um, than when I got started, for sure. So you had a little bit of a ramp up and, and sort of phased your services I into did. the changes that came. I did, quite what honestly. What specific yeah. planning? I mean, we talked about doctors getting into, into practices and ganging together and, and doing things in a different way. What specific planning challenges do doctors typically face that, that you were bringing to the table that we were especially skilled at solving? Well, I talked specifically about the idea that it was very difficult to build equity uh, initially in one's you know, sole practice model. Uh, it was just not heard of. And so I think the accumulation piece was critical for these guys. You know, the doctors, doctors have to live up to this, uh, this understanding in the community that they make a lot of money and they live well and they have the biggest boats and the drive Mercedes and biggest houses and quite frankly a whole bunch of them did uh, and put a hurting on themselves as a result of that. So, you know, I think the challenges that we face and where we had to focus early on and continuing until today is, is getting the physician to, um, to really understand what their limits are, what they should live within, who they are, and how they have to prepare for that. Uh, many of them think that they're going to make lots of money. They used to, anyway, think they're going to make lots of money forever and ever, and they can live the way they want. They can use debt incorrectly. They, so there's just a bunch of half cockeyed notions. The other challenge you have is that while they're, they're, many of them, most of them are brilliant at what they do, there's the God complex that exists within the medical arena. And that complex is one that says, well, I'm a really great doctor. I went to medical school. I'm super smart. That means I'm smart at everything. They're far and wide yeah. at everything. And so, God, I know all the answers to this stuff. And, and ultimately, you end up with, uh, with I think there's a um, sort of a training process that has to occur. First, they have to be welcome to it, of course. 
and uh, and that's how you qualify whether or not a given physician may or may not be a good client. But you know the idea is that that they have to understand that what are their limitations, where can they do good for themselves and for their patients, and where should they look outside for assistance and um, and uh, guidance. One of the challenges that we were able to overcome by our fee structure uh, change going to a fee-based environment was they are constantly, physicians are constantly battered uh, and had been by insurance agents and uh, anybody who could sell them anything, you know, brokers. And, and so they were very much product targets um, and guys would come in and just, you know, sell them up the wall on some sexy, crazy sounding thing that the doctor thought was great because it was cool and different not knowing what, not having a clue, quite frankly, what they were even looking at. Sure. Uh, making decisions on stuff based upon relationships that they've had rather than intellect, which they uh, they need some guidance on that. So. Sounded like you had to break through a lot of competition there in the beginning. Was there a specific approach that you used that, that you found worked particularly well with physicians in persuading them to let Pinnacle take care of their investments? Well, I, probably the major issue was that um, we understand the practice of medicine uh, we understand that, in fact, um, it, 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 uh, that it's different than those brokers and insurance agents and other people out there that didn't know anything about the practice. So the, the, probably what was the biggest help for me was the time, energy I spent truly understanding the business of medicine, right? Starting ground zero with reading medical economics, you know, every, every time an issue came out. Um, so that I could talk the talk and walk the walk with these guys, which was so different. It really differentiated me as an individual from anybody else they had ever spoken to. So in fact, when they would introduce me to another physician in one way or another, they would do so in a way that they had the confidence I could talk about the business of medicine, not just what I was selling, not just a product, an investment or you insurance. You were a peer at that point. I, we, I, I, Desperately worked to get myself to be recognized much more of an understanding consulting role um, than as to somebody who is trying to move them into something. But back to your question about you know what you have to plan for, there are many, many unique design opportunities for physicians based upon the way they were that would help get them to their goals um, that they needed somebody to teach them at a level they could understand instead of talk above them. And I think these, some of these other folks came in and began to talk above them. Yeah, I, I get the feeling that that would not be effective because they're ego-driven oh, in a way goodness. that yeah. is yeah. hard to understand unless you've seen it. But yeah. they yeah. need to feel that they're the smartest guy in, in the room. In fact, I think it, it, they do. And I think, But I think it's really important because I was blessed with an, an opportunity to work with physicians that were really good human beings all the way around. Not that the other guys weren't, mm -hmm. but they knew where they were good and where they weren't. I wouldn't end up working with somebody, quite frankly, even though I may interview them and I'm, they may interview me and they may be a great prospect, at least from looking on the outside. Um, I was pretty tough uh, about who I would work with. And even in the earlier years, I did not want to work with a physician who had a God complex around finance. The guys I loved and I could connect with were you know, I said, I, I look, I don't diagnose my issues and my problems, quite frankly. What I want to do is educate you. You're super smart. I want to educate you in terms you understand about these issues so that you can make a decision that's the appropriate decision. And I would not take, uh, I mean, where I, I, I can talk about several <laughs> interesting first meetings that didn't go so well. 
because I said, no, we're not going to work together. There's no way in hell I'm not going to work with this guy uh, because he simply doesn't understand that you know he's not God. So, Well, that's very instructive because all along in a lot of these episodes prior and, and continue to talk about how the courage to say no is really important in building a niche practice. You've got to know your niche well enough to know when somebody doesn't fit in it. Yeah. Or when it's not somebody that you want to really be working with, because you're going to be with them for 10, 15, 20 you years. You really are. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the relationship in order to be successful needs to be deep. And it was. It was deep. It was mutual. It's got to be. You have to be on the same level of respect across the board. Um, and if I was talked down to, or and, and certainly I was, you know, many times in the approach talk, as we called it, the first visit. Um, you know, that's a place where it's, no, nah, this one's not going to work. Let's get on the same page. And I, and I would explain to them that it was a partnership. That was a term I used very, very frequently, that this is a partnership we're going to create for the rest of your working career. And, uh, and that was helpful. I've talked to you, you know, a, a bit in terms prior to this conversation about disturbing tracks and what issues are there and what are concerns are. The other thing about working with medical practices is that there are so many moving parts between the personal side and then being engaged in the practice. And they're integrated in areas that can be complicated, even the way mm-hmm. doctors spend money um, in and around and through their practice so often might not be appropriate. They don't know about it. They don't think about <laughs> it. I mean, they just flat out had no education yeah. uh, about money. That's one of the great and awful things about medical school. They're woefully underachievers in terms of the professors in terms of presenting uh, the curriculum around finance and business and running your practice. Financial so. literacy seems to be at a low whoa, in whoa. most practices. Yeah, but terrible. For there, given yeah. the amount of money that they're typically working with, it's even more damaging because they just, they could make much bigger mistakes. It's pretty startling, yes. Mm-hmm. Back then, what were you using as a lead generator? You talked about referring from one to another, which yeah. is how everybody likes to build their practice, but how did you find them well, during the rest of the day? Interestingly enough, uh, that first person I talked about, as I mentioned, was very well liked by a number of the physicians in that particular hospital. And I, I, what I wanted to do is I, I did not, in my earliest part of my career, uh, I was not a cold call guy. I never did it. I was a little older when I got started. And I simply said that if I don't have the uh, ability to go about and create uh, a, a business, without just picking up the phone, as many guys had to do, then I, this wasn't going to work for me. So interestingly enough with this first client, and I recommend this uh, too, uh, to all the folks that are listening, the advisors that are listening, what we did was after we developed a, a successful relationship and there were results we could point to and uh, accomplishments we shared, then uh, I, I actually was candid and I said, you know, I'm, I'm at the building end of my practice, as you know, you're one of my, my first, but you know that I've also had a keen interest in, in this for a long time. And what I would like to do is brainstorm with you about what opportunities you're comfortable with in reaching out to the physician community locally that would allow me an entree, that would allow me a chance to meet people in, in the right way. And so uh, literally, I, I, it was coincidental almost because on, on his desk, uh, out of left field, there was a membership directory from the Anne Arundel Community Hospital, uh, basically their directory, the membership mm-hmm. directory at that, that time, that's what it was called. And, and so it was, <laughs> it was very fortuitous. So I simply said, well, Arnie, you've got just a host of guys that you refer to. He was, a, he was an internist. And oh, so, nice. um, you know, if you have an internist, guys and gals, then they 
refer out to other physicians in the community often, not always, because the way things are structured now are a bit different. But, but generally speaking, they still reach out and they have a lot of contacts. And so I told them, I said, everybody loves you. You know, they, the guys I know, they love you, your buddies, you know, you're, you're referring to them. So they get the concept of referral. Sure, they, understand they understand it. It's part of their business. And so I said, the best thing that you could help me with at this point is to do an intelligent approach to some of these other guys. And what I would like you to do is I'd like you to write a letter of introduction. Uh, and, and basically, uh, um, you know, nowadays we have to be a little bit careful about how we do this. But one-on-one, -on -one, it's okay to say, hey, I'd like you to meet with, with my, this person that works with me on these issues. And now, of course, it's a little tricky, too, now, and that everybody uses email. Snail mail was the, was mm, the sure. venue. We're, I'm, I'm dating myself terribly here, but uh, it was all snail mail. So literally what I did was I wrote the letter of introduction for him. He's too busy. We got along great, but he wasn't sure. going to do it. And so I wrote this lovely letter. It was a one-page letter that said, I'd just like you to, to meet John. He's done, a, you know, we've worked together on these issues. He's helped me through, see a lot of things I didn't otherwise see. And I just recommend that you accept a phone call from him. And that's about what it was. I mean, yeah. but it was on. So, and, and what I did was I said, I'm going to make this so easy for you. It's ridiculous. So hand me a chunk of your stationery, all right, and envelopes, the whole bit. Um, and then let right now, what let's, I, I caught him off guard a little bit. But right now I said, let's go through the directory. And, and just take your yellow marker over there and, and just, if you don't mind, I'll borrow, I'll get it back to you, but just go through and highlight guys that you know and that you would be comfortable just doing this very simple letter of introduction. Nothing more than that. Just ask them to accept my phone call. And so he's whipping through this thing. It's like, boom, 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 boom. And he's, there must've been, I don't know, there were hundreds of names of physicians in that thing. And I'll bet first round of this was 50. You know, wow. And I got so I had 50 yellow highlighted physicians and literally I took the, the paper, you know, I took the letter back. I he approved it, of course. Mm -hmm. And I said, OK, I'm printing 50 of these things out. They're going out to the guys you highlighted. You OK? He said, sure. You know, it wasn't an, an obnoxious over the top letter. Yeah, it was a simple right. letter. Yeah. And so lo and behold, that was the most dynamic uh, campaign that occurred. And it was simply him reaching out old-fashioned letter saying it's a great guy you ought to talk to him and he's referred to them so there was some you know well gee this is how this works and i called all of those and out of that group of people you know it, it was in phases how things happen that's the way it works but almost immediately i was was talking to in front of oh at least a half a dozen of some of the best docs in in the area and developed and the door was open it wasn't this cold, uncomfortable thing because most of them called him back before they would uh, meet with me. So they pick up the phone. He did get a little tired getting some phone calls. Yeah, but sure. But so they say, so who is this guy? What are you talking about right. here? And he got on the phone. He said, look, you know, here is this low key really understands our, our practice situation. That's what's most. And I sort of told him to say that. Sure. So I just tell him I understand the, the business of medicine better than most guys that you've seen that do what we do. And so he did that. And that got a door open and then another door open, another door. So out of that initial list, I mean, I'm trying to think of the, I'm going to think that there were at least five or six super prominent. And what was really great is that they were in different areas of, of specialty. You know, so I had the ophthalmologist, I had the um, there was a cancer doc. I had um, somebody who was working on uh, osteo-related issues. 
all these kind of different groups. And you know, you know where this is going. To some extent, I repeated the process. Um, I will be totally public and honest with the group here and say that when you have success, we, we all do this all the time. You have success at certain things and then you stop doing it. You know, it's almost crazy. It doesn't make any sense. Patient's getting so, better. We'll discontinue treatment. Yeah, I mean, so so I do this thing. It works. It builds. And I do it a few more times. And then I guess some of it was that my network was being created. And it could be done over a cup of coffee or a glass of wine or whatever, you know, however it happened to work out. Uh, but ultimately, that is really what got things going. And I think you, it gets back down to, uh, and I know this is not the most popular thing to throw out, but I still believe in all my heart at 65 years old here, having gone through this whole process from virtually ground zero, that referrals uh, to other folks, albeit it may be a little bit more complicated now, and there may be more people that are taken care of, I still believe that there is a great way to open doors in an effective manner by going through a traditional or at least semi-traditional referral route. I think that's critical. So you're talking about referrals coupled with a very hyper-focused, hyper-enlarged, vetted, direct mail piece on a limited scale. Yeah, exactly, on a, on a super limited scale. And the other thing too, and in, in that was, um, I think, again, getting back to understanding practices, before I ever met with these guys, I would, if, if one was an ophthalmologist, we didn't have the, the internet like we did today. I mean, it would have been so cool, because right now, you know, you can, you can do such great research in such short order, it's fabulous. Sure. But I literally um, went to the library, and I would go and look up uh, you know, what, what were the current issues? Um, Ophthalmology Today magazine mm -hmm. you could get, or you could get some of those other periodicals, and then you could do your own research. So that when I went to meet that doc, he knew I knew something about ophthalmology. I may have never had an ophthalmologist before, but going into that office, the practice issues are fundamentally the same, but it's very, very good to specifically understand your audience. This is true whether it's a physician group or whether it's the local liquor store guys or dry cleaners or government contractors, I don't care who it is. The mistake that so many people make is that they, number one, they don't niche into just a few of those and get really deep. Um, I think a word of wisdom I can share is simply that you, when you're going to go see somebody or you're going to understand a niche or want to go that way, do your homework. Know how to talk the talk and walk the walk. It be, it'll be super impressive for the person you talk to. And that really seems to be the crux of a lot of these niching strategies is the knowledge base that comes with having intimate awareness and, and ability to understand the challenges your client is facing. You have to know what they're up against so you can talk about it and fix it together. Absolutely. No question about it. The more you know, the better you're going to be and the more fun you're going to have. It's a hell of a lot more fun to go in to one of those meetings first time instead of being a little bit you know nervous anxious about well yeah, i hope i do well in your head and all yeah you're trying things. to do all this yeah. stuff and think about it and and but the good news is that when i went in and did that or and when you can go in and do that if you have factoids about what's going on that you can fall back on it is an amazing confidence builder it really helps you get smooth and get comfortable and, and then you can their eyes light up when yeah. you mention one of those terms they're like oh he's one of them no question talking about. huge differentiator makes a big difference yeah, huge yeah mm -hmm. we're coming up on a break when we come back we're going to be talking about retention and some of those very specific approach strategies that john used to make physicians comfortable we'll be right back are you an ria or financial advisor looking to grow and scale your practice but feel like you could use some help 
feel like there are lots of growth options out there but don't have time to research them and don't want to make an expensive mistake? Want to spend more time helping clients instead of time-consuming investment research, compliance checks, or transactional work? If you answered yes to any of these, Pinnacle Advisor Solutions has the answers you need. With a range of outsourced options and top-rated professional investment management and financial planning support, Pinnacle has a solution that fits your needs, budget, and circumstances to help you scale up, grow your practice, or put a succession plan in place. For more information or to set up an appointment, call 201-919-4838. And we're back speaking with John Hill, founder of Pinnacle Advisory Group, about his experience growing Pinnacle in the early years by approaching physicians. In general, in your experience, do physicians make really good long-term clients? Again, I think if, if, if you're careful about how you select the physician that you want to work with, they're awesome long-term clients. I mean, we, and Pinnacle has, you know, we have hundreds of doctors out of, we have roughly 1,200 or so clients overall, and I don't know the last count, but I'm gonna, I know there are hundreds of doctors in our group. Um, and, and I think they can be awesome long-term clients. And, but again, I think what you need to do is be very cautious about the initial development of the relationship. I don't want to be. Um, I don't want to be so curt as to say that you know, gee, if, if there was anything I didn't feel fuzzy about, I didn't take the guy or gal. Uh, but um, certainly, because you need to have, you got to get your own ego out of the way. You can't be that bad about that. You need to have an open mind. But once you've done your homework and you truly have qualified candidly and honestly, you know that you're going to be incredibly passionate about this this relationship if it, if it goes forward uh, about success for, for the doctor, um, but that you just need to be on the same page. If you get them on the same page, you get them on board. I had a few slip off. I mean, honestly, I, I would start with somebody thought they were the person, you know, I would hope was hoping for in the beginning only to find out that they weren't and they wouldn't spend the time necessary to develop the right plan. And their follow through was not, not good. And, um, they just they lost, they got interested and they lost interest so to speak. Yeah. But I would say if you're it's all about um, the first part of the relationship. If you get them through the first part of the relationship and you take great care of them, um, then I think they can make fabulous long-term clients all the way right. I've had you know I've seen a bunch of these guys move through to retirement and been warmly I've felt incredibly warm about this process of taking them through this having conversations with them afterwards. I haven't had clients in my God, probably 10, 12 years, a long time now. But um, when I did, and these guys finished their program, the conversations we had, or putting their kids through, when their kids finished college, they'd set up a college fund with this one particular doc we just talked about. Everything was all covered, it was done, they just pulled on the money, that was pre-529 plan. But you know, we had it carefully set aside. So answer is yes. And there's a lot, the other issue too is that if, if there's still a huge demand for understanding um, retirement planning, specifically qualified planning. Uh, in other words, uh, defined benefit plans or, or defined contribution plans for these guys. Um, there's there's a, just an array. There always has been an array of opportunity to be creative in this space, and that, is by a definition is a long-term glue. It keeps you together through that whole process. Because you have options. You can shift with their needs as they change. Yeah, you can. So really, education and setting accurate expectations and being selective gives you that longevity that, that physicians can enjoy with you. And I'll never underestimate the power of a close relationship. I mean, to me, it's a, it's it's been a huge part. Um, if there's anything that I miss now, 
Um, it's the relationships that I had with those folks when I was taking care of them have since transitioned those to smarter people than I am and better at what they do, I'm sure. But, um, but I, I do miss that, that deep uh, relationship. You know, I, I was the first phone call, honestly, in several situations where the doc I had taken care of had passed and the wife called and she said, I haven't, I haven't talked to anybody else. I need to talk to you. Wow. Yeah. Rewarding. Yeah. Tremendously rewarding experience. Yeah. When it, we talked about so that the mechanics of a lot of these practices are the same, and some of the challenges they face are uh -huh. are sort of universal. When you first approached a doctor or, or a practice, did you really take a different approach because they were both an individual and a business entity? Did that enter well, into your thinking initially, or was that just only in the planning? No, no, not so much. I mean, it did. I mean, I didn't look at it separately. I mean, it's like anybody who owns a business. Um, if, if you own a business and you're a client, it's integrated in your totally in your financial plan. I mean, they're, they're inseparable for all practical purposes. There's personal needs, there's objectives, there's I want to retire, and that's a whole different set of, of, uh, of objectives compared to what the practice might be. Well, I want to grow revenues, I want to grow patient base, you know, I want to be more efficient, I want to run a better practice, I want to get better outcomes. You know, those are different issues for sure. But from a, from a planning perspective, there's so much integration. And this is true whether it's a physician or anybody who owns their own business. It's, right. It's, it's easy to separate if I've got a client who's a corporate executive, you know, for a large Fortune 500 company. That's, that's a different animal. I need to know their systems. I need to know their benefit programming. Right. I need to be fully aware of all that stuff, which is critical. But that's a different thought process than it is when you've got the whole thing integrated into one mess right in the middle. And there's a spectrum of that integration, too, if sure. I'm correct. Some businesses, I mean, some of these smaller self-motivated businesses, contractors and whatnot, those guys are using that business as a personal piggy bank in a lot of ways, and that's not really well, the best and, way to go and about it. <laughs> believe me, over the years, many physicians have as well. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, they would, uh, it was ridiculous, some of this stuff I would go in and look at, particularly you know, when I'm looking through their tax returns. Um, what these guys were trying to write off uh, way back when was just staggering. <laughs> this was a come to this is some serious conversations. By the way, I saved those until after we got going for a while. I wasn't going to try and curtail behavior. Don't want to pull that out of the box, you first. know? Yeah, like number two, <laughs> disturbing track. My God, you can't deduct that. It doesn't. There's no way. You no, know, that you might ask a question about. Well, that's interesting. How did you come to the conclusion that you know that fit that category? My but you got to be thing. very tactful about that. It's, you no mentioned question. disturbing. Let's get into yeah. that for a second. Let's okay. unpack that. Where did that sure. came from, and and how does that apply to what we're doing? Actually, disturbing is a, it's a ferocious word for um, identifying those areas that create deep concern for a prospect or a client. Um, sometimes they know about them. Sometimes they need to uncover them. Um, and so what. We use we just learned the term from the first company that Ken Dwight and I worked for, and it's a it's it's a term that is, is so straightforward and honest it's right there, uh, but people don't like it sometimes because oh what are you trying to mess somebody's head up and the answer is well a little you know a little <laughs> yeah. I want them to be concerned that they haven't addressed issues they need to, so the concept of disturbing is simply very tactfully through probing properly with open ended questions finding out. You know what a physician in this case has done relative to a certain area in their life you know it, it, it could be across the spectrum it could be from a cash flow it could be debt could be mortgage could be a lot there's a lot of opportunities within taxes the problem there is they don't know you know right. I mean you can ask a lot everything you want to ask about taxes you can ask because they don't know 
So you say, oh, did you recognize that the, the did you realize that this was happening and this, this, and this, and you're an alternative minimum tax and you get too heavy into that stuff, they're going to glaze over and never figure it out. They just, because they don't have a clue. It seems like you're doing the right thing, but you skip that line and you're done. So you have to be very careful about what you disturb about. And it's got to be delivered or probed in layperson's terms. Um, it's got, I always say, deliver everything to everybody at somewhere around a fifth to seventh grade level. If you do that, you'll never insult anybody, particularly if you let them know, if you apologize for that level in the beginning. And I know I used to say to docs all the time, geez, I, I know you know this. You're probably so far ahead of the curve. You've probably been, you know, any number of areas that you're just, you're an expert on. Um, if you'll forgive me, I'm going to back this off to, to, and pretend for a second that you don't. You know, just pretend because I know you do. Right. But we're going to pretend that you don't. So if I throw something out here that's too elementary and my question asks, please forgive me. Please forgive me. But I've found that over the years, sometimes it can be helpful and I can uncover some things that might, might figure this out. So I think, again, it's, it's, it's isolating areas that can mess them up. You know, that's what a disturbing track is. That's what finding areas of concern, whether it be taxes, estate-related. Uh, there's a ton of things in this estate area. In the old days, it used to be wolf. They could have the best will in the world, but all the property was titled jointly, so it didn't work, yeah. you know? So that's the concept, yeah. Now, we talked about doctors being very well-educated and, and having an opinion of themselves and this, that, and the other. Uh -huh. If you're uncovering things that they think they should know but don't in this disturbing process, right. does that make this work particularly well for physicians? Um, well... It would kind of take less effort to really disturb them if you find something they didn't know anything about. <laughs> yeah, the, well, let's put it this way. The more complex a situation is, the more moving parts. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if, if they don't have kids, for instance, you know, if we start with if they're not married. Right. You know, does that, where does that put, well, you know, it's not always, there's not, not nearly as many disturbing tracks available if you're not married. Sure. Now, if you're married, you don't have kids, there's more. If you have kids, there's a lot more. You know, if you've got other issues going on or concerns or mm -hmm. you serve on a board or you're charitably inclined, there's a lot more yet. So it's circumstantial, uh, but a normal doctor in this case, you know, a guy who's in his 40s, married with a couple of kids, has got educational expenses to face. He's got uh, he's got risks, by the way, liability, potential liabilities, and he's got to be structured properly. That's a big one, by the sure. way, from a disturbing perspective. You know, you could have he gets sued. He could lose everything. I was going you to know. say, can you give me an example of some of those things that really? Well, that's one of them. I would honestly, I mean, malpractice is a yeah. A I mean, I mean, being sued is huge. Um, you know, they're, if they're liable for, um, if they don't have, if they're not careful about how they protect assets properly, mm -hmm. of course. Um, and there are lots of ways to do that. I mean, you could have them in the wife's name. Um, Proper titling, you know, trust, titling, trust, like all, all the above. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, but that is a huge one. There's no question about that. I mean, it's, you know, it's today. It's it's. Some haven't changed. You know, it's educating my kids. It's uh, I want to be able to retire at a nice number at a given age. Now maybe it's I want to prep my practice to sell because uh, there are more opportunities to do that than there have been before. And that's a whole other really interesting disturbing track because you could simply say if it's an older doctor, um, I'm curious, you know, what have you done to prepare any kind of practice transition moving either out completely and having somebody acquire it from you or um, bringing in a junior partner and, and training them to a process of uh, having them be able to take over the practice and buy you out. The economics can vary and will vary across the board. And so we help would simply identify the fact that there is dramatic differences in economics and outcome with each of those. Have you, have you thought a whole lot about where that fits in? 
You know, and that's that's an open-ended question. That's a yes or no. Sure. I would typically ask it in a way that means what thoughts. What were your thoughts? Yeah, yeah. What were your thoughts around this? What have you given thought to around this area? And let them talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly, this is a tremendous way to steer a conversation in yeah. the way you want it steered so that they see that it's the right way to convince them to work with you and, and to manage and invest their money because you know exactly what they're up against and you know how to fix it. Yeah. Um, yeah. This to me would seem to be ideal with almost any niche you could pick because it should function beautifully no matter what you talk about. It's universal. I mean, one of the great mistakes that um, is made by younger advisors, younger planners that are going in is that they want to solve the problems there on the spot and demonstrate their deep intellect. Um, and so rather than probe and ask questions and open things up for discussion, that allows them to think and focus on what they where they should go. They are a fire hydrant of stuff. Boom! They want this doctor to know how smart they are and that they can solve every problem there is known to mankind. And so they come across as spewing forth information uh, rather than asking questions and getting the physician to talk or any prospect. The consultative sale process yeah. has far yeah. more listening than talking, uh, especially yeah. in the beginning. And that needs to be employed here as well. These are fellow professionals. Their time is just as valuable as yours. Yeah. So that helps you guide you along the way. We're running up against the tail end of our time. If you had one nugget for, say, a new advisor right. that wants to start a niche and, and is contemplating positions, one little nugget of wisdom you want to pass along to that person, what would it be? Well, it, I mentioned it early on, quite frankly, and that is completely understand as much as you can about that business, about the practice of medicine, about the changes that are going on, uh, acquisition, hospital acquisitions of doctors, know your marketplace, be able to, to share that you understand that Tom across the street sold out to the hospital. What did his deal look like? Why did he do it? How did he do it? So I think that the, the, the best possible thing you can have is to build an extraordinary um, depth of knowledge around what's going on within the community that you're interested in, whether it's a physician community or you know, or government contractors, it doesn't matter. Um, it just really differentiates you, and you'll be able to have a conversation as person to person at a level that you could never have if you were going in to talk about your, your product or your offering uh, right up front, so that would be it. Deep dive, know the audience well, get your facts straight, become a peer. Terrific advice. John, I'm sure our audience appreciates all these valuable insights. I've learned a lot. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. Um, we're happy to have you today. Thank Thanks, you so much Dave. for joining us. Lots of fun. Enjoyed it too. We've been speaking with John Hill, CEO and founding partner at Pinnacle Advisory Group in Columbia, Maryland, about prospecting and building a practice on a group of physicians. If you have questions about doctors as clients, prospecting, or anything else you've heard on this program, drop us a line at fouradvisors at pinnacleadvisory.com and we'll get you some answers. You've been listening to Four Advisors, a podcast for and about financial advice. I'm your host, Dave Polis. And until next time, thanks for listening. You're listening to Four Advisors, the podcast for and about financial advisors. This program is for educational purposes only, and the opinions expressed here by guests do not necessarily fully or accurately reflect the legal intent or nature of Pinnacle Advisor Solutions, Pinnacle Advisory Group, or its senior management. This program is not intended to give legal, investment, or financial planning advice, and opinions and statements made in this podcast should not be relied on as such.